Well, good morning. Uh, if you are new, my name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be with y'all uh, this morning. I got, a, I got a couple of things for you before we dive into the sermon this morning. The first thing, uh, or before I begin to share, let me invite you to join me in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Uh, we are working through um, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. And so that's in the New Testament. It's a small little book uh, in between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians. And so while you uh, open or load your Bible, um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit uh, on a few things. The first one is, and you're going to hear about this later um, in our video announcement. I just wanted to give a little bit more push on this. Next week uh, on Sunday, uh, we're going to be pausing our series in Colossians to observe Holy Week, beginning with Palm Sunday and then going into Good Friday and then finally Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And uh, on, on Easter, we're going to be celebrating baptisms. And right now we have about five or six baptisms. Really excited about that. Uh, and so next week on Sunday, when we start Holy Week, we're going to be having a baptism class. And so if you are a Christian who needs to be baptized, uh, you should be in that class. Uh, if you just want to learn more about baptism, I would encourage you to, to, to be in that class. It's a really short one, about an hour. It's a presentation of the gospel. It's a presentation of what baptism is and what baptism is not. And so, uh, again, really short class, uh, just so that everyone is on the same page. Uh, the second one kind of bleeds into the third one. Um, you'll notice that there are these banners uh, around, our, uh, around the atrium, not our atrium, but the atrium. These aren't ours. These aren't like, hey, this is the new direction that we're headed in as a church. Um, this, is, this is not where that, no, none of that. And so uh, being here at the incubator, we, we have friends that are neighbors. And so uh, some of our friends here at the incubator po uh, uh, had an event uh, yesterday, it was the Irish Cultural Festival, and so it was this big deal. Several people were here, a lot of vendors, really cool stuff that was going on. Uh, I'm guessing they, they, they finished fairly late, and these paintings actually be belong to like the Edinburgh Dance Academy, and so they're kind of formal, but in case you were wondering, or if you were already starting to ask, no, it's not the direction we're headed. It's not like, whatever, man, it's Irish stuff. Um, so, but with that being said, however, uh, though our group is small today, I'd like, to, I'd like you to give like this really, not yet, but this really loud round of applause because every week we have volunteers that show up here between 7 and 7.15 to set up everything, giving their time, their talent, whether it's the band or the production crew or others that just help to participate in making Sundays possible. And when it came to the, this event from yesterday, there was a little bit more work to get done so that you would come in and just be ready to worship. So can we just thank our volunteers because they do a huge, huge work. Yeah. Yeah, and if you, if you serve on their team or you know some of them that lead some of these teams, take them out to lunch, say thank you. Uh, again, they devote, they give their time and their talent to making Sundays possible. Uh, and uh, and if, if you'd like to serve because you want to get connected or you just like to serve because that certainly should be in your nature, then, then hit them up um, or go to the Connect Desk. Ha, I did it right. Anyway, uh, with all that being said, we're going to find ourselves in Colossians chapter 2. 
Once again, verse 6 through 15. Hope you find yourself there. So before becoming a pastor, uh, I was a strength coach. And there are these weird myths and even superstitions that live within the strength industry. Uh, I'm sure several of them uh, are in other sports. Um, But they involve, oddly, losing sight of what's important and foundational. Um, it, they involve fixing your eyes on the next best thing, the next thing that's going to get you bigger, the next thing that's gonna get you stronger, the next thing that's gonna get you faster. And so when working with athletes on basics and fundamentals like the squat or the extension of the hips in order to create power or technique for better positioning, oftentimes athletes would fixate on none of those things. They would fixate more on the kind of shoes they were wearing. They would fixate on the kind of wristbands that they just bought because the brand is cool and very expensive. They would fixate on their Instagram posts because of the clever hashtags that they were about to uh, add onto their posts so that they would receive followerships. Or they would be consumed with the next best supplement how to get stronger, how to get bigger, how to lose weight. This is the kind of protein powder you should take. This is the kind of supplement you should take for this, that, and the other. And it was incredibly frustrating as a coach because as as competition drew near, uh, I would encounter one of three athletes. And the first one that I would encounter would be the one who would become absolutely self-absorbed and they couldn't think clearly, and they were incredibly worried about their performance because this entire time, their eyes had been off of their program, their eyes had been off of the fundamentals, their eyes had been off of what their coach was cueing them on, and all of the sudden, they would suck the life out of other people around them because they'd become so self-absorbed that they couldn't think clearly concerning their personal responsibility. The second athlete was one who would uh, find solutions for everything. Again, eyes off of the program, eyes off of coach, eyes off of the goal, and all of a sudden their anxiety and their worry would start to kick in, and so they're just thinking about what is it that I need to do, what is it that I need to take, what is it that I need to wear, if I wear this, if I eat that, if I take this, then I will actually place on the platform. They're constantly thinking through external factors which aren't always a bad thing, but what ends up happening is they become more obsessed with finding solutions than actually being sustained by their training. And then there was the athlete that stuck to the program, which out of 10 was one. There was the athlete that would stick to the program, and this doesn't mean that they didn't experience trouble, that they didn't fail on the platform, this doesn't mean that they placed all of the time in their competition, but it did mean that they relied more on their foundation and their coach more than anything and anyone else. And while this illustration doesn't fully translate over into Christianity, you may still find yourself in one of these positions or something similar looking to change, needing to change, having to change, but your eyes are fixed on the wrong thing or the wrong person. Similarly, this is what Paul warns the Colossians on, 
The Colossians are being persuaded, or to use last week's word, deluded to take their eyes off of Christ, that there's more to their spirituality than Christ. If you would just take this and do this and do that, then your spirituality would be real. Then, then you would really grasp the Christian faith. And so in a brief review, as Paul writes to the Colossians, he writes to them so that their hearts would be strengthened because at this time they're being threatened with a false teaching that didn't have anything to do with their salvation per se, but it did have to do with their sanctification. You see, there were people around the Colossian church who weren't disagreeing with them on salvation being by grace through faith. Instead, they were luring Christians to believe that grace through faith wasn't enough in their spiritual growth. We would call that sanctification. See, these other individuals were telling the Colossians that they need something else. They need something else to give them an edge over the other Christians who don't have this. A secret ingredient, a missing piece to the equation that would get them to where they needed to be. Paul writes to them to let them know that it is naive to think that we could add to God's work for and in us through Christ. Because the same faith that saves us is the same faith that sanctifies us. The work of God began at the moment of our salvation and is a work that he continues to do in us today. There is an echo of that in Philippians 1. So then what is sanctification? Simply put, sanctification is our response to God's work in us. It's our spiritual growth. It's conforming to the image of Christ. It is putting sin to death. And, and it is looking back at what Christ has done for us. I would say it this way, or to add to that, sanctification actually begins with us keeping our eyes on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do that, it informs our ethics, our relationships, our vocation. Everything begins with remembering Christ. Paul tells the Colossians that they need to keep their eyes on Christ, that they need to stick to the program and remember Christ where their life began. And so I'm gonna read the scripture uh, or the passage and then I'll pray and we'll get into our time. This is beginning in verse six of chapter two. Here's what God says through Paul. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you also were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So let me pray and then we'll dig in. Lord, my simple prayer this morning is that your word would be sweeter than honey to us. That you, Holy Spirit, would be at work in us this morning, convicting us, compelling us, and challenging us as we keep our eyes or strive to keep our eyes on Christ. And so will you bring that comfort to us this morning? Would you bring that challenge to us this morning? God, I pray for those who, who know Jesus and that through this time that they would know Jesus better and those who don't know Jesus, that they would come to know him this morning. And so Father, once more, the simple prayer is that your word would be sweeter than honey. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we got a lot of ground to cover. Hope you're ready, so here we go. The first thing that Paul opens up with is the word therefore. Now that's really important. This section is going to be, hmm, think of it like gospel ethics. He's gonna begin talking about what, what it means to, to put our theology in practice. And so how that's going to inform our ethics, how that's going to inform how we engage, for instance, false teaching in a moment. Nevertheless, therefore is an important word because it implies a transition on the basis of what Paul has just said. And so if you're new from chapter one all the way to last week as we began to walk into chapter two, Paul has been unpacking this beautiful, glorious picture of the person and work of Christ, preaching on his supremacy and his sufficiency. He has unpacked God's image, God's wisdom, and God's mercy. And now, as he says, therefore, it implies a transition where Paul will begin to tell the Colossians and us how to apply this theology in practice. And that's something that's really important. That's something that you and I need to know. Theology, our theology, must never be separate from practice, ever. Our theology must never be separate from practice. When it is, or if we risk that happening, what ends up uh, happening is that we breed hypocrisy, legalism, and licensing where we add to God's word or when we remove or just take what we like or don't like about God's word. Our theology must never be separate from our practice. And that's what Paul is about to, to unpack for us this morning. He continues, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did the Colossians receive Christ? It's echoing what he has already told them in chapter one, that they heard the gospel, they received the gospel, and then they understood the gospel. That is to say that the Lord Jesus, upon, upon the Colossians hearing the message of the gospel, the Lord Jesus called them to himself and claimed them as his. Now that's really, really important because it's a reminder to you and me that salvation is in and through 
Christ Jesus alone. Not merit or accomplishment or achievement. Salvation is in and through Christ Jesus alone. And if you're taking notes, one of the things I want you to notice is the word you, Y-O-U. He says that six times in this little passage. He says that six times because he's going to press upon us God's work for us and our personal responsibility. Paul continues, therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And we're going to trail into verse seven here. So when Paul says walk in him, there's a couple of things you need to know. The first one is that the word walk means something habitual. It's an ongoing practice. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Right? We've often said it this way, that what we believe shapes how we live. And so when Paul says, hey, as you have received salvation in Christ alone, so walk in light of that salvation. And he continues to unpack it or he continues to elaborate what it means to walk in the salvation, what it means to have an ongoing and daily response to God's work for us. He uses three participles. Again, a lot of English over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Indeed. He says, <laughs> he says, rooted, that's one, and built up, that's another one, and established in the faith. Here's what I want you to know about those words. Here's why they're so important. Those three words are actually passive. In other words, what Paul is telling them is that being rooted, being built up, being established is actually a work that is being done in you. A better translation, and some do have it, a better translation would be something similar to, to this or to the extent of this. So walk in him as you are being rooted, as you are being built up, as you are being established. And so when you begin to unpack those words, it makes a little bit more sense. So when you think about rooted, you think about a plant that is planted and then rooted. It is someone else who plants that plant. When you think about a building that is being built up, it is people who are building upon that structure to make it a building. When you think about being established, it's the foundation that was laid for that building to be built upon. It is a work being done in us. And so because it is a work being done in us, he gives a quick shout out to Epaphras by saying, establish in the faith just as you were taught. Back in chapter one, he told them, hey, I am thankful to God for Epaphras who's been teaching you the scriptures. So that's a quick shout out to him. He continues by saying, abounding in thanksgiving. That as we walk, knowing that Christ is at work in us and that we are growing in his image, Thanksgiving is an overflow into our daily lives. Thanksgiving is as, as us being compelled by what Christ has done for us. And so here's the quick question. It's one that I even asked you week one. Christian, are you thankful for what God has done for you? Are you thankful for what God is doing in you? Are you thankful for what God is doing in your brothers and sisters in Christ? 
It's okay to be thankful for material possession. It's okay to be thankful for God's provision in your life. We should be thankful for that. And one of the dominant themes in Paul's prayers is that he is regularly thankful for God's work in people. He is constantly thinking about God's work in his brothers and sisters. That's what it looks like to, to abound in thanksgiving, that this flow of thanksgiving comes out, uh, comes out of us because of what Christ has done for us. So Christian, are you thankful? All of these words point to the work of God in us, and it begins, again, he's building off of the, the salvation that we have received. All of these words point to the work of God in us, and it begins with us remembering what Christ has done for us. So he says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So he builds on what it looks like to walk. Sanctification begins with remembering what Jesus has done for you. This in turn affects and informs our ethics, how we engage one another, how we engage the false teaching Paul will tell us about in a little bit, how we engage relationships and so on and so forth. And Paul doesn't stop there. He continues. Verse eight, see to it that no one takes you captive. So in the opening two verses, Paul is reminding them of what Christ has done for them and he begins to unpack what it looks like to walk in Christ because of the work that is being done in them. And here's another transition as he starts with the words, see to it. Once again, it's important because now he's implying personal responsibility. Being rooted, uh, built up, established, that is passive, that is a work that is being done in us by God. Now here he is saying, see to it, and it implies personal responsibility on our part. And remember, the definition to sanctification is our response to the work of God for us. And so with a phrase, see to it, means to make certain that something happens, or in this case, that something doesn't happen. We need to know that, that our, our sanctification has a responsibility piece to it. And in this case, what does he want them to make certain? He wants them to make certain that they would not be taken captive. That is, persuaded, lured, deceived, that they would be given a piece of the formula that, man, if you take this one pill, it'll totally, uh, you know, throw you uh, at a different level of your spirituality. If you would just do these other things, then you're really going to know Jesus better. That's essentially what other Christians are being lured with. And so he says, don't let anyone take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. Continuing, according to the elemental spirit, excuse me, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. That when it comes to human tradition and elemental spirits, that there is a philosophy that is contrary to the person and work of Christ, and that that is empty deceit. In other words, it is empty and void of Christ. And so when he talks about human tradition, look, at the end of the day, here's a couple of things. We're not against tradition. Tradition isn't necessarily bad. Like, for instance, uh, two summers ago, I think, we, we preached through the Apostles' Creed, a historical church creed that points us back 
to the pages of Scripture that points us back to the person and work of Christ. So it's not that we're, uh, not that we're against tradition. However, what was happening in Colossae was that uh, what was being preached was that the gospel isn't enough. And some Christians were being tempted to believe that. That's what was being preached. That's what they were being lured with and tempted to. Essentially that these Christians needed to incorporate more to the program or that they needed to add more onto the salvation and work of Christ for them. That's what they're trying to lure them with. Additionally, he talks about the elemental spirits of the world. Man, this could mean anything from demonic spirits. This could be hyper-spirituality. But here's the thing. As he concludes this section, he says that these things, human tradition, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, they are not according to Christ. And so what they're beefing up or what they're preaching is if you were to add more, you actually beef up your sanctification. You actually get stronger. You can get there faster if you add these things to the salvation that you've been given, to the sanctification that you're trying to work out. You know what would really help is if we could beef up your spirituality. If we can beef up your spirituality, then you'd be good. You're good to go. And the truth is about several of these things, some of them could be helpful but not necessarily biblical. All of them, however, are void of Christ. The Apostle John in in 1 John 4 says it this way, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know that the Spirit of God, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And so what John presses presses us on is to, uh, when you hear these teachings, when you're tempted by these teachings, even when they make sense, like last week, Paul used the word plausible, that some of the arguments that are going to come to you, some of the teachings that are going to come to you, some of the temptations that are going to head your way, they're going to sound like they make sense. They're actually going to sound reasonable at times. And so what John is saying is, hey, we need to test everything accordance with Scripture. That's one of the last things that Paul concludes in this section, right? He says that that human tradition and elemental spirits, they are not according to Christ. And so we need to be careful to put too much investment, for instance, in experience only. We need to be careful when it comes to the things that we're reading and learning because we want to test them according with Scripture, Sanctification begins with remembering that salvation is in and through Christ alone. Our theology must never be separate from practice. And you and I have personal responsibility to stand firm in our faith. Christian, are you standing firm? Are you standing firm? 
And if that's not enough, Paul now transitions to let them know, hey, let me tell you why you're actually capable of engaging false teachers or engaging daily activity. Let me remind you why you are capable. And so in the next section, let's see, where are we? This is verse 11. In the next section, the Apostle Paul continues by reminding the Colossians of what has happened to them through, in Christ through baptism. In other words, here's Paul's argument in this section. Their baptism into Christ in the family of God is evidence of their transformation so that they would combat false teaching that seeks to deceive them and persuade them away from Christ alone in salvation and in sanctification in particular. So let's go to verse 11. Paul says, in him you were, is it verse 11? No, let's go to verse 10. Sorry. Okay. Verse 9. I keep changing my mind. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So in that first verse, Paul begins by echoing what he has said in chapter 1 concerning the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ alone, saying the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And here we go, there's that word you, and you have been filled in him. That is, the Spirit of God actually dwells in you, Christian. Sanctification would not be possible apart from the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. As a result of having been filled with him, that is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus himself is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, because Christ dwells in you, there is no need for anything else. There's no need for idols. There's no secret ingredient. There's no missing piece to the puzzle. Because of Christ, you, Christian, are complete. You are complete and capable of walking in him. Paul presses that to believe anything more than this would actually be idolatry. Second, Paul once again reminds them of their spiritual circumcision. Here we go, verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Here Paul uses references or language to the Old Testament where, where Israel was circumcised, that is being set apart or holy and folded into the family of God. And now here, because of Christ, they have received not a physical circumcision, but a spiritual circumcision or a spiritual surgery where that through Christ, they have now been made new. The Colossians, they have been made new and their old self is now being put to death on the account of Christ's righteousness for them. Their baptism is evidence of God's work in them. Their baptism is evidence of what God has done for them and what God is doing in them. And as a result, they are capable of walking in newness. Baptism 
A symbol of our union with Christ is a physical evidence of being buried with Christ and raised by him in faith through the Spirit for the purpose of what? Walking in newness. If you belong to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit resides in you. It is not just this moral transformation. It is a heart change. It is a new life. It is a new status that has been given to you on the account and obedience and righteousness of another. And so when it comes to walking in him and making sure that we are standing firm in our faith, you are capable of doing it. And you are capable of doing it specifically because the Spirit resides in you. The work of God done for us in Christ and demonstrated through baptism is a physical reminder that the Spirit of God dwells in us, making us capable to stand firm, to engage false teaching, and to conform into the image of Christ. And so Paul concludes, as if that weren't enough. Paul reminds them even more now of their identity. You have received this salvation, therefore walk in light of what God is doing for you. Here's a responsibility. Here's evidence that you are capable of responding to that. And now let me remind you of who you are. In case you didn't get it and everything that I've just said, let me remind you of who you are. And it's beautiful how he opens it up. I think it's in verse 13. He says, and you, as if he hadn't been talking to them. He is emphasizing Christ's work for them and in them and their personal responsibility. And in this section, he's going to remind them that their identity is in Christ Jesus alone. And he reminds them of this by taking them back to the beginning. Sanctification, once again, begins with remembering where we were and what Christ has done for us. So what does he say? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. What does it mean to be dead? <laughs> it means that outside or apart from Christ, we all at one point were spiritually dead. Not breathing, dead bones, lifeless. In case... I could use more words. And he goes on to say that we were dead in our sin, that our trespasses and the uncircumcision of our flesh, that is that we were doing whatever it is that we pleased because we were incapable of pleasing God. In fact, we were in rebellion against God, running as fast and as far away from Christ as possible. And Paul echoes something similar in Ephesians 2. Uh, you can turn to your Bibles if you want. This is verse 1 through 6. Here's what Paul says. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There's that word. What does that word mean? That is habitual. That is a lifestyle. That apart from Christ, our lifestyle was rebellion to God. 
following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived. That at one point, this was you in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of your body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He doesn't give us any out. He says this is who we all were outside of Christ, doing what we wanted to do, fulfilling our own desires and running as far and as fast away from Christ. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what it meant to be dead in our trespasses. I think he highlights it very well in Ephesians 2 the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. Coming back to Colossians, what does he say? God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What's Paul telling us? He's telling you, Christian, God initiated salvation and life into our spiritually lifeless bodies. God says it really well through Ezekiel that he will take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and he will put his spirit within us. And he doesn't stop there. He continues that that God forgave us of our sin in sending Christ, which leads into the next thing, that God died for us on the cross, canceling our debt, that Christ's credit paid our debt. The great exchange was our unrighteousness was put on the cross, imputed, given, put on Christ, and his righteousness was given, imputed onto us. God didn't just stop at sending Jesus to be a good teacher or a good example or a good philosopher. He sent him so that he would die for sinners. And in doing so, that we might be reconciled to the Father. And Jesus accomplishes this. For the Colossians, he accomplishes this for the Christian. Paul continues that God was nailed to the cross with all of our sin, taking on the wrath of God on our behalf. All of your sin, past, present, future, was nailed and imputed onto Christ. And what do you receive in return? His righteousness his righteousness. 
And so before closing up, that's, in, that's Paul's entire argument of this section, that, hey, as you have received this salvation, not as you accomplished it, not as you achieved it, as you have received it on Christ's work done for you on the cross, on his redemptive work done for you on the cross, as you have received this salvation, walk in this salvation. Walk in this thing that we call sanctification, that God's work is still being done in you, rooting you up, building you up, establishing you so that you would abound in thanksgiving. This is what God is doing in you. And as God is doing that in you, see to it that no one takes you captive with empty deceit or philosophy according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world that are not according to Christ that you can discern this and you are capable of combating this specifically because the Spirit of God dwells in you. You can do this. And if you don't believe me, let's go back to your baptism. Let's go back to where there was this public proclamation of what God has done for you, a transformation of your heart, breathing life into your spiritually dead body that you were buried with Christ, that your sins were put to death, and you were raised with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that spirit now dwells in you. And if that doesn't convince you enough, Paul then says, let me conclude by reminding you of your identity and who you were and who you are now in Christ. And so what's the result apart from our adoption into the family of God, what's the result apart from our redemption? That is that we have been set free from our bondage to sin because of Christ's redemptive work for us. What is the result? Paul ends that in the last verse. He says that rulers and authorities were put to open shame. He's not talking about presidents or political figures there. Right? He's talking about spiritual beings. He's talking about demonic forces. He's saying they, through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross, were put to open shame. How? Because he is above them. He is creator. He, is, uh, he rules over them. They were put to open shame. And if that's not enough, he goes on to say, let me tell you how they were put to open shame by triumphing over them. In him. What does that mean? Jesus was raised from the dead. Remember a couple weeks ago, we were in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20-ish, and Paul says, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead, that he has conquered Satan, hell, sin, and demons. And as a result of that, we might have new life in him that we can walk in him. Why? Because he is raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And one day he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and he will reclaim his church, the bride. Through Christ's victory for us, Paul reminds us of our now present day status, new and redeemed. Walking in Christ, hear me on this, please, please, please. Walking in Christ is not paying him back. That's like a 
church culture. That's one of those myths about like weightlifters and whatever shoes they wear. I often find this in church culture. Walking in Christ, serving the church means paying him. There's nothing to pay him back. There's nothing to pay him back. And even if you could, you couldn't. You have been sealed, secure in Christ through his redemptive work for you. So walking in Christ is not paying him back, but living out our salvation as we are being sanctified and abounding in thanksgiving. So, as we conclude, church, our sanctification, remember this, begins by remembering Christ's work done for us in salvation. And what would it look like for us to discipline ourselves to remember that every time we wake up? To remember what Christ has done for us, therefore we're going to walk in light of that today. The Spirit of God dwells in you as evidenced through his redemptive work on the cross, through baptism, through spiritual circumcision, and his work in you right now. You can do this. You can do this. We can keep our eyes on Christ. We can resist the secret ingredients and the missing puzzle pieces and the secret part of the equation that would illuminate our understanding. No, we can do this. We can keep our eyes on Christ and resist these things that are empty and full of deceit. Some of them are dangerous. Some of them are helpful and even unnecessary, yet many of them, if not all of them, are void of Christ. Christian, our theology is never separate from our practice. When it is, we risk legalism, adding to God's word, or licensing, removing things from God's word that we like and I like this and I don't like that, therefore I'm just going to keep this to myself. Instead, turn from yourself and your sin and turn to the one who has made you new. That is your identity. That is who you are. It was accomplished for you on the account of another and you have been given this free gift of grace and salvation That is your identity right now, Christian. So turn away from yourself and your sin and turn to the one who has made you new. And if you don't know Jesus, really thankful that you're here. And you are spiritually dead. You are unable to please God. You are at war with God. You are void of eternal life and the beautiful news of the gospel is that Christ died for sinners, that Christ died for the ungodly. And Christ invites you to come and know him, ready to pardon all who turn from their sin and turn to him in repentance and faith. Place your trust in Christ alone. Church, our sanctification begins with remembering Christ's work done for us in the moment of salvation. Let's pray.
God, if I'm, uh, if I'm honest, uh, I don't regularly think about your work for me. I don't regularly find myself praising you for all that you have done for me and what you have done in friends, brothers and sisters. And Lord, that is me walking in arrogance. That is me walking in willing forgetfulness. And I know, Lord, I'm, I'm not alone in that. Because our hearts are prone to wander, and not only do we feel it, sometimes we allow it. And so as we come before you at the closing of this sermon, would we lay out our sin before you? Would we abandon thanksgiving? My prayer is that we would abandon thanksgiving right now. That we would remember Jesus' work for us. Jesus' work in us. And that we would look to Jesus' work in our brothers and sisters. That beautiful truth empowers us to walk in newness. That beautiful truth empowers us to say no to sin because your spirit dwells in us. And God, if all of that, for whatever reason, was complicated, may we just look to Jesus right now. May we look to Jesus, worship him. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for my brothers and sisters. We ask all this in Jesus' name.